Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. From the Kurtz Polaris studio, here is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanez. Welcome back to Tell Nuanez, 1029 ESPN Radio. Time for the ESPN Roundtable. Hour number two. Great to be with all of you. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate you. Western Montana on your radios around the state on SWX television and across the world on the stream, listening live wherever you listen, 1029ESPN.com, your device, your tablet, etc. We appreciate that. The stream brought to us by Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. If you missed anything in the first hour of the show, a fairly comprehensive look at our current state of affairs in college athletics, specifically football, it's available on the podcast. Podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. It's available all the time. Thanks to Blackfoot, as well as our friends at Alpine Touch. Uh, Coulter, it is time. Before we get into this, Jeff Cho, just yes. one thing. I mean, I just kind of rushed through that because this literally just happened yeah, tell about a minute ago. But University of Montana fans that follow recruiting hard, they know about Sam Vidlak. Sam Vidlak was the 2019 Oregon State Player of the Year. First team All-State, all classifications in Oregon. He's the best quarterback in the state of Oregon. He's from Grants Pass. We talked about him on our show when he committed a couple months back, and this was one where the Grizz got in early, and they got a commit from him early. Well, they just lost him. Sam Vidlak just decommitted from Montana and committed to Oregon State. This is compelling for several reasons. First of all, he's a high-profile quarterback recruit that sure. that looked like a steal for Montana. Second of all, I find it very interesting that Jonathan Smith, the head coach at Oregon State, who used to be the offensive coordinator at Montana, has gotten into so many recruiting battles with both Montana and Montana State. I don't know if that says that Bobby Houck and Jeff Choate are recruiting above the Big Sky level or that Oregon State is recruiting below the Pac-12 level. I think it's somewhere in the middle. But all I'm saying is a guy like Sam Vidlak, for example, if he comes to Montana, 
that's a steal if he goes to Oregon State kind of just par for the course right or maybe not even yeah he might not even hard to say hard to say but it's also compelling because of Jonathan Smith's Montana ties so I'm sure Bobby Houck and staff are um less than thrilled frustrated that uh, a former a guy with the Grizz ties and there's a lot of Grizz guys on that staff too uh, would essentially steal something from him. And then, you know, also the fact that this kid did, I, I hope and I assume he called the coaches too, but the fact that he wrote a thank you note to Coach Houck and Coach Green on Twitter, if that's all it was, I, I bet you Bobby Houck has steam coming out his ears. Well, or maybe he doesn't know. Yeah, <laughs> True. He could, he's, he, he's fishing. He's fine. He'll, he'll find out later when he listens to the podcast. Uh, it is time for our ESPN roundtable. The roundtable is available. Uh, thanks to our friends at Paradise Falls. They bring it to us each and every Wednesday. We'll replay this for you again tomorrow on th- uh, at noon, in the noon hour on 1029 ESPN Radio. But our uh, resumption of the roundtable series starts with a bang. Jeff Choate, the head coach of the Montana State Bobcats. He's entering his fifth season, coming off two consecutive postseason appearances in the national playoffs. Obviously, again, going to the national semifinal a year ago. This is an extended conversation. I don't need to send it up more than that. Enjoy our conversation with Jeff Choate. Well, welcome into the ESPN Roundtable. I'm very happy to have as our guest this week the head coach of the Montana State Bobcat football team, Jeff Choate. Coach, thanks so much for taking the time out. We appreciate it. Obviously, again, such a weird time. Seems like this is the, the main talking point for everybody. But my question to you just in general is one of the things about being a great leader, regardless of it's a business, a football team, a university, whatever it might be, is being able to navigate unprecedented or unexpected circumstances that arise. For you, your football team, and maybe Montana State in general, what what has gone into trying to make decisions with little information and knowing the, the continued ambiguity of the situation? Yeah, you know, we, we have a couple of axioms that we use for football that I've kind of applied to this situation. You know, it's like, you know, when things get tough, you got to rely on your, your fundamentals, right? And so I look at our fundamentals within our organization right now as our core values and our culture. And we have to continually hammer that stuff home. That has to be present in our daily life. We have to live it. Those have to be lived values in terms of how we treat other people. And, and patience is one of those things that I certainly don't possess uh, in, in the amount that I would like. And I'm sure 18 to 22 year olds don't possess. And that's one of the things we've been tested with, but you go back to it and you think about, you know, what are our core values developing and recruiting young men of character um, being accountable for our actions, being toughness, which right, being tough, which right, right now is mental toughness and then taking pride in being a part of this program. And then, you know, the, the, the idea of our culture is built on this concept of team unit me, and it's not just a top down, but a bottom up approach, you know, it starts with you taking care of your 20 square feet, which every day, like I, we talk about, make your bed, develop a really consistent routine. That's going to help you. Okay. Stick to a schedule. If you get up at six 30 every morning, get up at six 30 every morning, do hundred pushups, talk to your coach on the phone, get your homework done, spend time with your family, do some meal prep, Go out and get a run in, you know, whatever that routine is. And that's that's part of that, that you taking care of your 20 square feet. And then if everybody in the linebacker group is doing that, then that linebacker group is going to rise. And if as that linebacker group rises, that helps our team rise. And I think we've really tried to build a culture here that's not a top-down hierarchy. It's really more of a linear organizational chart, if you will. And um, because of that, I really feel awesome about knowing that, you know, Ty Okada, who's going to be a junior, has been reaching out to some of our freshman uh, DBs and just encouraging them through this difficult time. And 
um, and not prompted by us. You know, Lewis Kidd has taken on a leadership role and he's calling guys within our organization and, and consistently staying in touch with them. And they know who the guys are that maybe need a little bit more of a, a pat on the back or some encouragement, which we all do. I mean, we all have days where you're like, you got to be kidding me. I can't do this one more time. You know, here I am zooming for the 6,000th time in the last seven weeks, you know, and right. um, we didn't necessarily anticipate that a couple of weeks ago. And so I think that's the, that's the key in my mind is, is that you, you lean on what you know to be good. And we, we lean on our culture and our core values and, and we try to keep those at the forefront uh, and then do what we can to help other people, you know, and you got to model that too sometimes, you know, and, and whether that's making a donation to the local food bank, uh, giving blood, um, whatever it is that you can do to help. And because right now there's no point in bitching about stuff because we're all, we're all going through the same difficulty. And in fact, we're very fortunate and blessed here in the state of Montana to not have some of the, we haven't had to bear the brunt of some of the physical pain and loss that many people around the nation and the world have. So let's count our blessings and not our problems. And uh, let's keep some, some things in perspective. I know that there's going to be economic tough times. That's going to hit all of us. Uh, that's the, the, what, Saturdays in the fall look like maybe different next fall. Um, what a traditional college campus looks like maybe different in the fall. But this too shall pass. One of the most fascinating and one of the things that we like about our job so much is just the, the parallels between the narratives of, of programs, narratives of leagues, and the psychology of, of young men. And so often, I mean, as we know, there's only a couple football teams in America that win their last game. So often your last loss is such a motivator. There's the great video of you in the locker room in Fargo two years ago talking about, hey, guys, we're going to be back here. And I seem like you guys used that as motivation throughout all of last year. Last year, then you take another step and get to the final four of the playoffs, have so much momentum coming into this offseason. It was one that all of us wanted. were so eager to, to follow. Can you continue that momentum, that upward trajectory? So then having a situation like this hit, how does that impact the momentum? And is there a way to maintain the momentum? Yeah, I think that's, I, I've said this from the start of this whole, you know, deal when, you know, Governor Bullock said we're shutting things down and life as we know it kind of altered for, you know, a significant amount of time. And we're kind of taking these baby steps back into it. Uh, but what I've said was, you know, this is all going to come down to who can reestablish the standard and uphold their culture the quickest when we press go. Okay. Um, there's, there can't be a lot of dipping our toe in the water, trying to figure out who we are, what we're about. No, I mean, there, there's going to be, you're going to have to have some strong leaders in your locker room that are going to say, this is how we do things. We're not deviating just because we're all back together. That doesn't mean that we're going, you know, we're going to go have a rager at, up the Madison. I mean, we're, we're here to work and we're on a different mission right now. You've had your vacation time for the last two and a half months. It's time to go to work. And I think that the programs that approach it that way and have that kind of strong leadership within their locker room are going to be fine. And the ones that don't, that's going to, it's going to be a struggle. And I think, you know, like anything else, there is no perfect scenario. There's going to be some things in the middle there, but that's my job is to make sure that we're present. We're visible. We're consistently preaching the same message. We know who we are. We know what we're about. Uh, we're the definition of a blue collar program at Montana state, by the way, we play the game, how we approach our work habits. Um, I was talking to a former Montana coach who will remain, remain nameless uh, back in December. And we were, you know, he'd called me a couple times and usually I get right back to him. And you know, he called me at like six 30 in the morning. And I mean, it was colder than hell out. It was a crummy morning. Right. And I come back in, I kind of get warmed up and I see, I'd missed a couple calls. So I called him back and he's like, geez, no wonder you guys are playing good. You know? And, and I believe that like, 
Nobody else is doing, nobody else that doesn't have an indoor is doing what we're doing. They're not out there in December at 6.30 in the morning, freezing their ass off, getting ready to go play. And oh, by the way, we're not just spreading it out, throwing it. We're going to, we're going to line up and hit you in the mouth and run the ball. And uh, I think that those are things that you hang your hat on. Who we are is who we are. That's, that's, that's not going to be, we're not going to compromise any way, shape or form. And it starts by our work habits and our personal discipline. And if you're not willing to bring those work habits or you don't have that personal discipline, there's plenty of places you can play football, but Montana state's not one of them. Jeff Cho joining us, head coach of the Montana state football team. And coach, you talk about the culture of your program from a football standpoint, but also from a program standpoint, you spoke with Kane Ione a couple of weeks ago. He talked about, you know, you've really implemented an FBS programmer mentality at the FCS level in a lot of ways. Obviously, spending time at Boise State in Washington, he particularly talked about, you know, making sure there's as little reasons for excuses for the players, giving them as, as little, uh, as many options to succeed as you possibly can, something that he took away from this program. Do you see it that way? You talked about kind of the linear build rather than the vertical build and that kind of thing, but you build what you know. You were at Washington, you are at Boise State, but do you see a certain FBS element in what you're doing here from a program standpoint? Yeah, and I really, honestly, I don't even know quite how to answer that because with the exception of nine months that I spent in Charleston, Illinois, 15 years ago, I only know one way to do it at this level. And so I think that, ha- that does change my approach. Um, these are the things that I know to be true. Our job is to take care of our student athletes. Well, how do I do that? You tell me you need a toaster. I buy, I get a damn toaster. You know, I mean, that sounds funny, but that's the low hanging fruit that you're talking about. Right. Right. Uh, coach, we need a, we need a digital clock outside the fueling station. So we're, we're not late to the weight room. We need to know what time. Well, okay. Tomorrow we'll, I can go, I can go to Ace Hardware and get a ding gun. You know, now it might not be digital. I might want them to learn how to use a regular clock, but um, <laughs> you know, that's the old school nature of what it is. But, you know, I think those are the things that you try to pay attention to. You got you have, to, you have to have the trust of your players so that when you open the door and they come in and sit down with you, they tell you the truth. And I think that's rare in most college football programs. How many guys are going to come into the head coach's office and complain about something? Nobody. I never complained anything about my head coach. Now, to the assistants maybe, in the locker room maybe, but never sit down and say, Coach, I think we need to change this or we need to do this differently. And I think the time and energy that we put into building this inverted flow chart where basically at the top of our organization are our customers who are our players and then worry about everything else after that, they know that's true. And they're willing to say, okay, this is my program. I have ownership in it. Here's something I think that can help us to be better. Now, I don't, I don't let them come in and just complain. They need to come in with, here's the problem. I have a solution. And then we can have a dialogue about it because that's a big piece of it. But uh, I do think that's powerful. I mean, you know, I tell these guys all the time, my number one job around here is to eliminate excuses. If you tell me you have to have something to do your job, my job is to get it for you. Okay. And, and I think Leon and I are very much in the same page about that. Uh, if we can't provide it, then we're going to work really hard to figure out a way around it. You know, we're either going to get creative and figure out a way to, to maybe make that work without it, or we're going to go find the resources to make sure we have it. One thing that I remember you talking about last year is having a couple guys that were really reliable when it comes to having that trust, having those conversations. What do you need? I know Damian Washington was a guy you talked about, you know, kind of gauging the, the vibe of the locker room, the vibe of the team. What's the plan for recultivating those sort of relationships going forward? And do you have any guys that you think that can kind of spill that specific role next year? Yeah, one of the things that I talked a lot about with our guys in my exit interviews with them a couple weeks ago, talked to every guy on the team, 15 to 20 minutes, some longer. 
um, about, you know, religious program stuff. And it was interesting because one of the things that I, I felt like developed as a theme for me was that there, we needed coalitions, you know, like on the D line, Amandre Williams and Chase Benson and Kyle Finch, that was going to be our coalition. You know, that was going to be kind of the, the group within the D line that they got together. They had to come together, formulate a plan about how we were going to go about leading this. And then they would form a coalition with the linebacker group, you know, with Michael Jobman and Troy and, and, and then they would form a coalition with Ty Okada and, and Munchie and, and Tyrell Thomas. And so you'd have kind of these, these coalitions instead of saying, Hey, Braden, what are we doing? Derek, what are we doing? We'd have more of the, more of this coalition style of leadership. And there's some individuals that have really strong leadership capabilities and will emerge as kind of the captain, but they're still going to need those lieutenants. And so really spreading out our leadership throughout our organization to make it stronger and, uh, and to allow there to be more, I think, honest input and feedback from every member of our team. And that creates buy-in. At the end of the day, I'm going to make the decision of whether we, you know, whether we jump over this, this tree or hop over that tree. But at the end of the day, we, we need to have buy-in. And that's where it's going to come through is these coalitions. We do have some guys, like I said, that I think have emerged already. I think Lewis Kidd has, he, you know, Mitch had his style. Mitch was the sergeant in arms, broad. And he, but he had a soft side to him too. And he really brought guys in. And I think that, that Lewis is, um, Lewis is kind of, he's a combination of Dylan Mahoney and Mitch Broad in terms of his leadership style. Very, and it works really well. And I think that's huge. I think Tucker Rovig has really grown as a leader. I think Isaiah Fonse now going into his third year in the program sees himself as a leader. Um, I think Lance McCutcheon, who has waited his turn behind Kevin and then Travis, is excited about stepping into that role and having that responsibility. Uh, our tight end group is interesting because there's not, you know, we only have one senior in Ryan Davis, but Jacob Hadley and RJ Fitzgerald, those guys are definitely strong leaders. I kind of talked about those three guys on the D line at linebacker, Michael Jobman. I think he's excited to take that next step. He feels like he is now ready to be that guy or one of those guys at least, you know, and, uh, and in the back end, you know, we do have some senior leadership. We, we lost a lot with Braden and, and Jojo and Quay. But um, Ty, even though he's an underclassman, really a strong leader. Uh, even some young guys. I mean, it's interesting. Some of our young guys, are, are I'm excited about their future. So I think we're at that place in the program where there's a lot of talent and a lot of experience and a lot of character walking out the door. But if there's one theme that came through in our, in our one-on-ones uh, with our players, it was – you know, Team 122 had great chemistry, and that's why we won. They didn't equate our success to talent. They get it. Like, teams win, right? Teams win. And, uh, and that's what they're searching for now, and that's the hardest part, is that chemistry that we built, that we could have built through the remainder of our off-season program and spring ball, now we've kind of make, got to make up for that, that lost time. One thing that we discussed last year that I thought was so interesting is you mentioned that you feel that the FCS, particularly – the Montana schools in the big sky. It's about the program, not the players. It, the players broadly, it's about the players, but not a player or specific players, right? The, the name on the front is much more important and will resonate for a lot longer. And that, I mean, it's a, it's a testament to the fan base and, and it's where we're located, the passion for football and all that. But I mean, how much of that appeals to you when it comes to coaching at this level? That's probably the biggest thing I lose sleep about right now because I, I'm worried that, name, image, and likeness, transfer rules, things like that are going to take away some of the purity. One of the reasons I'm at Montana State is because I didn't really enjoy the transactional nature 
I enjoyed the individual relationships. I loved the competition at that level um, to test myself as a coach week in and week out, uh, even in the recruiting piece in terms of how competitive that can be. But knowing that 90% of the conversations you were having with a young man were about how he, you were going to help him get to the league. And uh, that, that lost some, I guess, some appeal to me over time. And the older you get, I think the more, more important relationships are anyway. Um, and I'm concerned about that for our game. And I know that it will eventually affect places like Montana State and the University of Montana. Is there a saving grace, though, because you do recruit Montana so hard and you do get kids that they might come to you as a you know, Class B football player who has no clue how to play Division One football, but then three or four years later could be an All-American caliber guy? No, I think that's that's what is so appealing about this place. Right. And, um, but I'm not naive enough to think that that isn't going to – I mean, we already have kids in Montana that are transferring from eight-man schools to double-A schools that aren't like – they're not – it's not like they're – no. you know, it's not like they're going to modern day – you know, they're not going to perennial powerhouse programs to make sure that they get a better look or whatever. So that's already happening. Right. That's already happening within our own state. And that's rampant. Go to Seattle. I mean, they're what I call magnet football schools over there. Good football players are going to go to these certain schools because they're going to get recruited. They're going to get exposure. Um, you know, there's already a lot of, you know, pop-up businesses that are centered around developing student athletes, right? As youngsters, you know, they're going to go to this gym because this guy's got this reputation and he's putting these guys into college sports. Well, that's the only people you deal with in LA or Seattle or Portland. Now everybody's got handlers. It's become an AEU basketball. And so I think it's going to be like a lot of things like, you know, like, you know, turtlenecks in the nineties. It took a while to get to Montana, but it's going to get there eventually, you know? So, uh, Coach, when you talk about you, – you've been working and pushing so very hard for uh, the expansion, physical expansion onto the football stadium, to actually have ground broken now. Just what is the sort of mental lift that that gives to, to have that process actually start? We know how important it is to have, but, but just to know that, okay, well, there's some dirt being moved. Yeah, it, it was last Monday. I was in the office. When I came in in the morning, there was nothing over there. And, and then I was looking out my window and Martell Construction had moved a, just a trailer over there, a construction trailer. And that was a pretty awesome moment. It's, it, there was no, there was nothing, there was no shovel in the ground yet, but to know that it was really going to happen, um, that, that the hard work that uh, Leon and his team and, and, uh, and you know, really our, our, our athletic department as a whole had put into making this a reality because of, the benefit that it was going to bring to every program in our organization was huge. And it's, it's going to be a game changer. It's going to be uh, when it's done. I mean, it's really it, other athletes will use it, but essentially because of the location, it's a football only facility. We'll be housed there. We won't have a need to travel a quarter mile over here to the field house for a lot. Uh, it's going to be a, a place where our guys have a locker room, have meeting space, coaches, offices, everything's right there. And that's going to be, uh, a little bit different than some of the other facilities that have been built in the big sky. And, and I think that's going to be uh, a real benefit for us, but it's also going to affect, you know, our track athletes. They don't have to fight for space in the weight room. Our volleyball team, if they want to go in the morning, they don't have to adjust around 90 guys in the weight room. And so everybody wins. And I think that's the best part about this, this particular project is that it's going to benefit, you know, all of our kids. 
I know you're not much of a basketball guy, but have you been watching The Last Dance? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, the thing about it is, is that obviously, you know, the rise of Michael Jordan, that was basically, I mean, I can remember the first guy in my school that got a pair of J's mm-hmm. in, in like 1987, right? So generationally, I connect to this. This is things that were going on in the world, the dream team, you know, some of those types of things. Those were the, I mean, all the basketball players were the guys that I was familiar with. And I, I don't follow basketball now, so I'm not as familiar with some of the, the players of today's era. And so this is really not just a, a chance to listen to one of the great competitors and follow that saga. But I mean, you know, those were the people that were very popular in pop culture at that time. Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen, um, you know, obviously Michael Jordan. And, and so I can, I can relate not just from a standpoint of a competitor and an athlete, but also from the standpoint of that was, I was big back in the day. I ask because one thing that Ryan and I have talked about frequently is that there's so many lessons I think that so many young athletes can learn from watching this. I mean, if Michael Jordan would have quit basketball after he gets cut during his sophomore year, what would the world that we know it even be? You know, he rose to become one of the most impactful people in human history. If Scottie Pippen doesn't beg as the equipment manager to get a shot to practice with the team, goes on to be a you know all-time player. And, you know, when we were doing the Zoom call earlier, you were mentioning the fact that you'd hope that young men would at least stay at a place for a year. And I started thinking about, and I remember once upon a time, Caleb Schreibice was about to go to Montana Tech. And instead he said, I'm going to give it one more spring, and something clicked, and then he wins the buck two years later, you know. So sticking it out, it's such a good lesson because you never know when it might click for you, it might develop. So do you hope your guys are monitoring it and taking some lessons from this? And what do you think just about that general aspect, about, you know, riding it out and getting to the end and developing the to your full potential. I think that's, I say this, I start off our team meeting every year and that's one of the points that I drive home and I probably use it 15 or 20 times in team meetings throughout the course of the year. The number one attribute for success in division one football is not athletic ability, speed, height, weight, size, intelligence. It's perseverance. That's the number one thing. Most kids quit you know, and I have this expression, in the short run, you get what you get. In the long run, you get what you deserve. The problem is most guys don't want to make the long run, right? And so it's to what you're speaking of, which is, hey, stick it out. Make the long run. You're never going to regret, even if it doesn't go your way, you're never going to regret being a, finishing something. The only thing that you're going to regret is giving up on your dream, quitting on something. And that doesn't mean, you know, football is assuming risk. Life is assuming risk, right? Going to... Costco right now is assuming risk. That doesn't mean you're not going to do it. You know, you're still going to be able to go through life. And, and, and part of that risk is failure. Opening yourself up to criticism. Injury is a possibility in our sport. So you kind of have to make this deal with yourself before you choose to play Division One football that I'm okay with not being the man as long as I can be a part of that team. I'm okay if I get injured as long as I get that experience. And you value the process and the experience over the end product, that's when it becomes meaningful. It's just hard to get 18 to 22 year olds to really conceptualize that. I know I didn't fully understand that and probably until my thirties. Uh, just for the record, contemporary NBA players, LeBron James, pretty good. So do you, if you, I don't know if <laughs> oh, you're yeah. familiar with yeah, that him, guy, maybe. That guy, LeBron James, I've heard of him. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Where's Michael <laughs> Jordan's number? Right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. He's a follower. <laughs> Jeff Cho joining us, the head coach of the Montana State football team. Coach, I want to talk about your your players here for for a moment, if we could. Uh, Isaiah Fonse, 
uh, we he's been good since since the first game that he ever played. But I'll tell you what, even even in this time, and even with some injuries and stuff like that, what what a power he seems to be. Where is he at the Big Sky level, at the National FCS level, as a running back in your eyes? We see a lot of good backs. I mean, you know, one of the things that I, I told our staff, I said, here's the thing I'm going to tell you. My, you kind of had your lesson learned, right? Like one of the lessons that I learned last year, no matter who we play in the playoffs, they're going to have a good running back and they're going to have at least one receiver that can beat you. Um, and so we've either got to have one lockdown quarterback, cornerback, or we're going to have to have the ability to roll coverage and take a guy away. We saw that number one from North Dakota State who just, you know, even if they couldn't run the ball and didn't have a guy that was going to potentially be a first-round draft pick at quarterback, that guy was going to beat us. Um, but I think he's in that category. He's that guy that when you get into the playoffs, you're going to go, that guy's one of the best guys we've seen all year. And uh, I, I don't – he's a little bit one of those guys that can quietly have a great game, even though this year he had more explosive runs because teams just threw so much at us in the box. Once he broke the line of scrimmage, it was over. But uh, teams that are going to play more split safety looks and they'll play tight quarters with those safeties down kind of close to the box, he'll have like a seven-yard gain and it seems like it's a yard and a half. And then you look at the stat sheet at the end and you go, oh, my God, this guy had a huge game. And like UC Davis was kind of like that. He had a couple of chunk runs, but most of his yards in the fourth quarter were just tough, hard-nosed, seven, eight-yard runs that didn't seem like they were that big a deal. And I think that just separates him. And his yards after contact are as good as anybody I've been around. And the guys he's running behind, obviously they're going to be expected to be great as well. Obviously you have to replace a 50-game starter, Mitch Brown, but the rest of the offensive line comes back. A bunch of guys, not even just starters, but other guys with experience as well. What have you thought of just the way that it's played out? Because you kind of brought a bunch of these guys in in, in two classes, and now and they played early, played together, and now here they are juniors and seniors rather than freshmen and sophomores. What have you thought about the way that they developed, and how, is, how did that line up with maybe the philosophy you had when you first started building this offensive line? Yeah, what, what we wanted to do on the O-line, and Coach Armstrong has talked about this a lot. With We've talked about it a lot. We wanted to get old and stay old on the offensive line. That was our objective. Was let's get to the point where we're playing a bunch of juniors and seniors every year, and then when those guys leave, those guys that are coming in are juniors and seniors because it is such a developmental position. It takes so long for some of those guys, whether it's growing into their bodies, um, you know, learning the scheme, whatever it might be that their hurdle is to get over – to, to be able to play. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to have a kid as a sophomore who's exceptional or even a redshirt freshman that can come in and, and start or contribute. We've certainly had some of those guys, but that's kind of been our objective. And now we are old. So now the challenge is, can we stay old? Can we continue to keep these guys in the program and continue to develop them so that we can remain a dominant group up front within our league? How has your philosophies changed over the last five years? I mean, have you learned some stuff when it comes to recruiting and developing that maybe was different a couple of years back? We were so, you know, we didn't even play with 63 scholarships until my third year here. I mean, we were so far that the, the level of turnover that oftentimes occurs when there's a coaching change, especially, and I say this with a lot of respect for Coach Ash and what he accomplished here, but we are such different people and our philosophies are so different that I think that actually impacted the transition more. Um, the guys that had signed on to what he wanted to do and what his vision for the program was so much different than what I wanted to do that. I think that impacted some of the, uh, uh, some of the juggling, so to speak. And so um, I'd say we were a train wreck my first two years in recruiting. And so it didn't matter. We needed help everywhere. 
So we were taking everybody. All right, let's go. And, you know, and you're going to make mistakes. You know, the more guys you take, the more that, you know, you're going to miss on. And we got to a place where we felt like we can be more selective. Now we, our toughest decisions are who do we bring back? And so we're right up against our scholarship count, right up against our, our, our uh, number count and our, our equivalency um, each of the last two years. And, I, and so you asked what I've learned. I've learned you, you recruit up until fall camp starts. And then you make the tough decisions if you got to make them, because oftentimes you don't even have to make them. Some kid will call up two days before K coach, you know, I got my girlfriend pregnant or whatever happens. And you got to, you don't want to be sitting there going, I don't have a number. You better have, you better have extra rounds laying around. And so that's the one thing I've learned is never stop recruiting. Always, you're always trying to add value to your roster up until the day you start. The other thing that has really been a hallmark for us, we've always tried to build on the offensive and defensive line, but oversign on O-line, D-line, and DB. O-line and D-line because of the developmental nature of it. DB because here in Montana, we just don't have a lot of those types of players around. And so we miss maybe more on DBs just because of the fit aspect. You know, so, you, I mean, you're not going to say no to, you know, twin six one corners from L.A., Right. But they may not be the right fit for Bozeman. And over time, that's going to, you know, you're a guy that is maybe not as good a player out of high school, but sticks around in your program for three years. Like you were talking about, maybe it's that class B kid that you give the opportunity to because he's there, you can develop them. If they're not here, you can't develop them. And so we've got to, you know, just continue to oversign there, but do it in a way that that allows us to find the right fit and keep kids here. Coach, when you talk about your, your program and the arc that it's been, the transition from Ash to you and the, 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 the change in philosophy in general, but now have built this thing to, uh, you know, two-time playoffs, Final Four last year and so on. Is there a shift that happens where you go from building a program to maintaining a level? I realize there's still goals on there, like you said before, or, hey, we went to the Final Four, but we didn't win the big sky. So there's still goals out there to be had for your program, but also, you know, Montana State is right now a national power. They're a nationally relevant team at the FCS level. So what does it take to maintain that as opposed to build to that? I don't think you maintain anything. I think you either get better or you get worse. Um, and that's what will happen to us this year. I mean, I don't think we're going to, you know, be a semifinal team or uh, if we are, we're going to be a very different team to get to that next level. And I've said this, like, I mean, there's a reason why in Everest, they call the 2000 feet before the summit, the death zone. Okay. That's where it gets the most challenging. That's where it gets the most difficult. And I've been a part of that, you know, at Boise state, we had a bullseye on our back every single time we stepped onto the field, everybody hated us, you know, and that, that was part of our edge. Right. But then when we would go play at an elite level, against a, a Georgia or a Virginia Tech or an Oklahoma, that was where we had them. We had elite talent. We put more guys in the NFL than most Power 5 programs year in and year out, the six years I was at Boise State. We became not a secret our last couple of years. But for the first couple of years, we were kind of a little secret. And, uh, and then that's when it got tough was when we were no longer a secret. We weren't sneaking up on anybody anymore. And I think to a certain degree, that's us. You know, we're not sneaking up on it. And we snuck up on some people maybe year three. Um, year two, I don't know that our team to year two wasn't a better team than year three. We just played a tougher schedule. And uh, and that was really difficult. I mean, the 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 
number of nationally ranked opponents, both FBS and FCS that we played that year was, was pretty high. And, uh, and we were probably about six points away from, you know, being a team that made the playoffs that year. So that tells you what the margin of error is. Right. And so we just established a, a higher standard for ourselves. And in order to continue to do what we're doing, we're going to have to work harder than we did to get here. Speaking of schedule, it seems to me that, uh, Montana State with a non-conference game against a school from Long Island, as well as being in the Big Sky, a league that has eight states represented. It might be one of the most complicated schedules to figure out. So what do you think of just the overall potential for this thing? Because it seems to me with a team or with a league like this, where there's just teams far flung all over the entire Western United States, it seems like the most complicated situation in all of college football to try to decipher. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I think uh, we're committed to playing a schedule. It just might be not be the one we print. Um, that's that's the, the the message that we've received is that, you know, hey, we've got to be flexible. Everything is on the table. You know, I mean, if I got to call Ryan Norris in Dillon and say, hey, you guys want to get over here on September 5th and play a game? They'll probably be here. And if that's what it has to be for us to be able to play football, uh, I think that everybody gets that there's to me right now, there's the difference between the optimal and the possible. Okay, we're not living in the optimal world right now. But that doesn't mean that there aren't things that are possible. So I think that's where we've got to kind of have this shift in our mindset of let's not think about the good old days and getting back to normal. Let's just focus on what's possible at this moment and what we need to do to make that happen. And then we'll get back to whatever that looks like, you know, a year or two down the road because that's just the nature of the situation we're in. So um, that's the, the message that I've heard consistently from our administration as well as from Big Sky Commissioner and their office is that, all options are on the table. Jeff Joe joining us, Montana State football coach. And last question for me, coach, but along those same lines, if there was a situation that arose where there was no no fans in the stadium, obviously that would be a negative thing from a financial standpoint, from an energy standpoint, and all of that. But for you as a lifer in the sport of football who loves the game and all of that, would there be sort of an intrigue factor of just, hey, this is what football in its purest form is like. Two teams on the field, that's it, that's all. And and the sort of silence in between plays where you just go out and do it and see who's better in that respect and there's not three points for the home team or whatever it is like that. Is that something that sort of is interesting to you in that essence? Yeah, I think that's – I mean, just from a competitive standpoint, you want the opportunity to go test yourself. And, you know, I mean, I, I coached – class B football, basically that level in, in central Idaho and chalice. And I played, you know, single a football at St. Mary's high school. And I played in the frontier conference where, you know, heck we didn't need a bunch of coaches on the sideline, having extravagant boards and 19 different signalers. All we need to do is yell to play. <laughs> Might save, right. save some hassle, you know? Oh so, yeah, yeah. No, I think it'd be interesting. I think this though, I think that, you know, kind of to maybe piggyback on that a little bit, Ryan is that, even if it's not appropriate for us to have fans, I think it's important for both of our fan bases here in the state of Montana that we play. I think that's critical. And if you talk about, hey, lost revenue, season ticket, like people are asking me, what can I do? Well, you don't, don't write a check to the athletic, just buy your season tickets. Buy your season tickets. And if that means that we're, you know, hey, the best we can do right now is we can close circuit to all of our student, all of our season ticket holders, and you can watch that game in the comfort and safety of your own home, and we can provide a, uh, a little bit of respite for you on a Saturday afternoon, then that's what it might look like this year. 
but we're not asking people to go above and beyond. Just, you know, continue to support each program the way you always have. And I think that people will in this state. That's what excites me. I mean, I think we're we're different in that nature that, you know, even if somebody can't physically sit in the stands at Bobcat Stadium on a Saturday afternoon, they're willing to say, you know what, I'm buying my season tickets and I'll watch it at home because I know that this, this is going to come back. And when it comes back, we want to be standing on top of the pack. There you go. Jeff Cho, the head coach of the Montana State Bobcat football team. Really appreciate his time. Always, I mean, there's just so much to, there. We don't even have time to get into any of it, but, but what, a, what a great conversation we were able to have. We appreciate him for joining us and doing that again. You can, of course, listen to it on the Two Tell Nuanas podcast. The roundtable brought to us by our friends at Paradise Falls, who are back and open, and if ever there was a place to be during social distancing, Coulter, it's probably Paradise Falls. They got the space. They got the space. They also have the great back deck as well, so you can go back there and enjoy an early or late happy hour. 18 draft beers, still serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Open 7 a.m. till mid night on the south side of missoula 3621 brook street paradise falls missoula's coolest hotspot it's time boys and girls for a wing it wednesday call right now 361-3688 361-3688 we got some trivia questions for you we got some wings from the desperado for you give us a call right now 361-3688 answer a couple questions and have a nice day next At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping customers and communities connected online. In fact, we executed our own business continuity plan, quickly mobilizing to keep our communities online with the service and experience they need. You need to stay connected, too, and we can help. From home internet to remote workforce deployments, contact Blackfoot to learn how we can help you stay connected today and in the future. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash remote workforce to learn more. Give it to the people, spread it across the country. You want some wings? Give us a shout. 361-3688, the phone number 361-3688. Coulter's got a couple of trivia questions for you. I got a couple of helpers, well, at least one helper for you. So, you want wings of the Desperado? Give us a call. Go ahead and do that. 2 Tell New One is 1029 ESPN Radio. Outstanding to be with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Hope you are having a great day. We obviously went long with our interview with Coach Schultz, so we are a little bit up against it, but we'll find a way. We always do. Uh, speaking of wings, Coulter, my son uh, yesterday, actually two nights ago, went and had dinner at the table. Okay, I went and sat down on the couch. He came over, sat on my lap, three years old, three years old. Tommy, this is for you, too. You're going to like this, okay? Uh sat down on my lap and like father like son we're both out like a light just pass out right there on the on the ta- on the couch i wake up 30 minutes later whatever after my nap it's now about 8:45 which is really you know you're pushing into his bedtime anyways now he's still unconscious so i i kind of like i'm like ask my wife you know what should we do she's like well let's just put the diaper on him and 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 you know put him down so we do it he kind of wakes up a little bit but doesn't really do and then he just lays down in his bed out for the night gets out of his bed comes into our room at some point i don't really know when and i sleep pretty soundly thankfully my wife i hear her say about five or six in the morning what is in your mouth (laughs) what is in your mouth you stored up the chicken wings 
Kai, my three-year-old son, has not a little bit, and over like a giant, like like maybe I don't know, like a racquetball-sized round portion of chewed up and now turning into like 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 fermented chicken in his mouth from dinner the night before. Ate a giant face full of chicken, kept it in his mouth, walked over to me, fell asleep, mouth full of food. And slept the whole night with it in there. And no, yes, obviously we didn't force the kid who was already asleep to brush his teeth. So maybe that's on us. Could have avoided at least some of that. But I mean, easily, easily nine, ten hours of just chicken in this kid's mouth all, all night long. That's pretty amazing. Did he collect the chicken from the refrigerator? Was it no, no, out? It was a desperado you're, wing. You're missing this. You're missing this. That's the why I love it so much. The kid chewed up his food and then kept it in his mouth. He saved it for later because he knew he was going to be hungry. So he ate extras no. and then saved it in the <laughs> mouth for hours. No, that was it. This is spectacular. So then he doesn't have to bug his parents at four in the morning to give him a snack. He just starts chewing his cud. We don't have time for this. Hey, we'll take a quick break. Hey, we will do a wing at Wednesday with you if you want. 361-3688. You could have something that's so good it's worth hanging on for 10 hours 361-3688 we'll do that next at blackfoot we're experts at keeping customers and communities connected online in fact we executed our own business continuity plan quickly mobilizing to keep our communities online with the service and experience they need you need to stay connected too and we can help from home internet to remote workforce deployments contact blackfoot to learn how we can help you stay connected today and in the future call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com remote workforce to learn more Welcome back to Tell Nuanas. A fine Wednesday afternoon headed into an evening to you. Thanks for letting us hang out with you for a little while. If you uh, missed anything in the show, including our roundtable with Montana State Head Football Coach Jeff Cho, you can check it out on the podcast, the Two Tell Nuanas podcast, available everywhere. There are podcasts. Search, rate, review, subscribe. We appreciate that. The podcast is available thanks to our friends at Alpine Touch and our friends at Blackfoot. Uh, it is time for a Wing It Wednesday. We go to the phones. We welcome in Andy to the show. Andy, we got like a speed round Wing It Wednesday to do with you. How are you, Andy? I'm doing great, Ryan. Thank you. Yeah, well, we're happy to have you on. Appreciate you being here. Here's the deal. Colter's got a couple of questions for you. If you get Ouch. one of these right, it's wings for you. That's the kind of time constraint we're under. And if you need any help, I'm your man, all right? And if you don't know, just say pass. Yes. And we'll get to the next one so you have a chance to hear at least all three. If you get one, we'll send you the decibel. Perfect. All right, here we go. All right, number one. Tell me likey. Tell me want wingy. It was a double push. Yeah, double push. Double push on the bed. Here we go. All right, Andy, number one. This man is the only coach in NBA history with more wins than Jerry Sloan, Greg Popovich, Phil Jackson, Pat Riley, and Lenny Wilkins. Who is the all-time leader in NBA head coaching victories? Pass. Okay. <clears throat> Number two. I just named one of these guys. Who is the who has the most losses in NBA history as a oh, head coach? He also has the second most wins. He led the Seattle Supersonics to the 1979 NBA title. Ryan, I need some help. Lenny Wilkins. Lenny That's Wilkins. Who? Right there. That's good. Uh, okay, number three. Wait, wait, wait. Andy, do you accept Lenny Wilkins? Absolutely. All Absolutely. right. There's good. one. He's got, he's got wings. Now let's get him a shirt. 
This is the only head coach in NBA history with more titles than Red Auerbach. Name the NBA's all-time leader in head coaching titles. Wow. He's from Montana. It's got to be, yeah, yeah. He's from Montana. He's from Montana. The Last Dance. Have you have you watched any of The Last Dance, Andy? I I have not, but we'll try. Uh, okay, now I know who it is. Who you got? Phil Jackson. Phil Boom. Jackson. Boom! You get yourself a wings and a shirt. Andy, it's just that simple. Give your information to Tommy in the back, and we will set you up with wings from the Desperado, the best wings in town, and a shirt to go with it. You, my friend, picked a good day to call in. Thank you. Thank you. Red Auerbach is the all-time. No, he is not. Who is it? Don is it? Nelson. Really? Oh, man, I'm never. Never. never well, we're talking about Don longevity Nelson. here, right? I mean... As, I mean, long, as long as Phil Jackson and Jerry Sloan and all those guys coach, Don Nelson coached longer than anybody. I guess so. See you tomorrow. Yes, get ready. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.